one. Yeah, we can. <laughs> there you are. You are out there. That's good. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Nick and I am the senior pastor here together with my husband, Chris, who was on keys this morning. And just to pick up on what Dave was just saying then, you know, we are in a season where we are really excited. If you weren't here last week, do listen to the podcast of Chris's talk where he laid out the vision for the year. He's laughing at me because I listened to it this morning, actually. <laughs> I, was, I was in kids last week and then all this week he said, have you listened to it yet? And I'm like, no, 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 I will. And then this morning, so as I announced that, Chris thought there was a lack of integrity and that I hadn't listened to it. But I have actually listened to it and I can say it was brilliant. Uh, so it was absolutely brilliant. So do listen to it. Chris laid out the vision for the year, which thankfully I knew before listening to the podcast. So that was good news. And in it, we talked about how we are looking for financial breakthrough. And actually, one of the things we're looking for is for our regular giving to increase by about £50,000 over the course of the year. Now, that may seem huge, but when we did the maths, what we actually worked out was that if every adult within the church were able to increase their giving by £5 a week, then actually we would be able to exceed that. Now, we know there's lots of reasons why you may or may not be able to do that, but we wanted to take this idea off it being this huge problem and instead bring it down to us as a community of people pulling together and seeing that perhaps that's not such a big mountain to climb after all. So that's why we're going to be, over the next few weeks, uh, you'll hear from Dave and you'll have these things on your chairs. Um, and that is that. But today, on to today, you'll see we're starting a new series this morning, and that is called Designed to Prosper. And we, uh, at Asher Vineyard, we tend to do, we talk about money and finance probably on average about once a year, uh, and it tends to be something which is a standalone talk. But in view of what I've just said, and in view of what we feel God is saying to us as a community going forward with this vision, we felt like that perhaps it just needed a bit more focus. And so we're actually going to be spending four weeks, the next um, four sessions, talking about money and resources. And we're not just talking about giving at Ashford Vineyard. In fact, we are more talking about what it means for us to prosper um, as people trying to follow Jesus. That's really where our heart is. How can we better manage our resources and our finances? How can we be people of abundance rather than people of lack? And that is what we're going to be looking at. Now, you may be sat here thinking, well, you know, a bit like politics. People say the church shouldn't get involved in politics. You may be thinking, well, the church isn't a business, so why are we spending all this time thinking about money? Surely we should be thinking about more spiritual things or more holy things and we should, you know, stick to that stuff instead. But I would like to highlight to you that money and resources is probably one of the most spiritual part of your life. If you look at the Bible and you look at what Jesus talked about, 16 of the 38 parables that he talked about were about money and resources in some way. In the Gospels, they're the books that talk about Jesus' life. One in every 10 verses deals directly with money and resources. That's a lot. In the Bible as a whole, we've got about 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than 2,000 verses that speak about money and possessions. So I would suggest to you that actually money and finance is probably one of the most spiritual things that you can be focusing on. There's a lot in the Bible that tells us we need to get this area of our lives right. We need to be able to get our hearts right over this stuff in order for us to prosper. 
And what we're hoping over the next few weeks is that we as a community of people will break out of what Chris and I have called a poverty mindset. And I'm going to be talking quite a bit about that today. But we're going to break out of a poverty mindset and instead move into a mindset of abundance because God is an extravagantly abundant God. God isn't a God of doing things in half measures or scraping by. He is an incredibly extravagant God. And we're going to look at how we can change perhaps some of our mindsets around abundance. So as I briefly hit upon, when Chris and I look at church life and we look across all the areas of Ashford Vineyard, this is just a tiny part that you are participating in on a Sunday morning. If we see something that is consistently stuck or it's not progressing in some way or it feels a bit broken, we can use our own wisdom and our problem-solving skills and we can try and work out what to do to fix it. But when we see something that's consistently stuck, and we're thinking, do you know what, it doesn't feel right. We go to God over it and we just say, do you know what, what is going on here? What is happening? What is going on that's causing this to be stuck? And if you were here for our Boulders series of talks that we did, we talked a lot about things that get in the way of us getting to what God has for us. And the very first thing you do if you find something that's getting in the way is try and work out how it got there in the first place and what it is so that then you can change your thinking about that and get it out of the way to walk into the more God has. And what we realised as we spent time just praying and seeking God over the church finances and saying, why does it feel stuck? Is we realised that for us personally, as Chris and Nick, but for also for us as the pastors of Asher Vineyard, that we had got caught up in some wrong thinking about finance and resource. We had somehow bought into a bit of a poverty mindset when it came to finances and resources. And in doing so, we had set a culture that has grown in Ashford Vineyard where there's been some perhaps dodgy thinking around resources and finances along the way. And we feel that we are at a place personally and as a church for us to change some of our thinking about that and look at a new way forward. Yes, Nick. So I'm just going to put up here, this was a, a bit of a brainstorm in my head to try and explain a bit about poverty mindset is something we're gonna, you're going to hear lots of in the next few weeks. So I wanted to try and think about what the symptoms are of a poverty mindset so that you might start to be able to identify, yeah, maybe I've got some of these or I'm totally fine on all of this. Uh, and so I'm going to put these up now. The first is this, you might feel embarrassed by people commenting on what you have and find yourself justifying with phrases like, oh, I got it in the sale or, uh, oh, we managed to save money on this or that. You might look at wealthy people and I've been really kind here and said and unknowingly judge um, that they can't be radically generous because if they were, they wouldn't be wealthy. You find yourself talking about having enough or getting by. You might be someone who is a bit obsessed, and I wrote the obsessed because finding a good deal, there's nothing wrong with that, but you might find yourself a bit obsessed with getting the best deal on everything, even if it's a small amount. The thought of being wealthy feels uncomfortable to you or a bit ungodly in some way. Your approach to problem situations is with a greater awareness of what you lack rather than what resources you have to solve them. 
You look at areas of breakthrough you need in your life and you feel guilty because you feel like instead you should feel grateful for what you've got. Maybe you have a fear of being seen as boasting when you describe a simple accomplishment or something that you've done. You have a belief that you're lucky when you succeed and you're incompetent when you fail. And denying yourself is an ongoing way of life and investing in yourself feels selfish. If someone were to come and give you a gift in some way or invest in you, that if you were to spend that on yourself or invest in your own well-being or your own, um, your own life, that would feel a bit selfish and instead you feel like you probably should, you know, the Jesus thing to do would be just to give it all away and not invest in yourself. You may recognise some or none of those symptoms in your life, but this is a hard lesson that Chris and I feel we've been learning about approaching things without this attitude of lack, but instead looking at what's possible instead. We've operated at Ashford Vineyard very much with an attitude of, We'll just do whatever we can with the little we've got. And we'll keep making the best of what we've got. And there's nothing wrong with that at all. But there is something wrong when we're not expecting that God has something so much more. And I think one of the mindsets that we've got into is that we've got somehow into this mindset that there's a hidden belief that God's only ever going to give us just enough to do something and that we're going to have to fight really hard to get it. But as we talked about way back in our God is Good series that for me was transformational, that stuff that we did about God is good. God is a good dad and he is a a God of abundance. And I don't think he does want us to live having to fight for everything and battle for everything all the time. I don't think it's a sign of holiness that we have to fight to get what we need. And in fact, not just getting what we need, but getting more than we need so that we can achieve and fulfill so much more of the dreams and the visions we have in us. So where does this mindset come from? Where does it creep in? Where do these ideas creep in from? Well, today's talk is called Jesus Wasn't Broke. And that's where I want to start because I think some of our poverty mindset comes from some perhaps wrong ideas about what Jesus was like or about what the Bible says about wealth. I grew up in church my whole life and and I somehow got the idea or impression that wealth was bad and possessions were bad and no one ever told me, but I think I just got this idea that stuff and possessions and wealth couldn't be a good thing in some way. And I think some of that came from this idea that Jesus was poor, that I had in my mind, these pictures of Jesus with his sandals and his robe, and that he must have been quite poor and live a very simple life. Then I had like verses in my head as I grew up, like money is the root of all evil. For, For what it's worth, that is a total misquote. It actually says the love of money is the root of all evil. Just to put that one straight. That's not how I heard it growing up though. And then there were stories, really lovely stories in uh, the Sunday school I went to, like the camel getting through the eye of the needle and how it's easier, you know, for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get to heaven. So this stuff started to, however, unconsciously formulate this idea in my head about wealth is bad having stuff and possessions is bad, and that actually it must be about stripping it all back and giving it all away, must be what Jesus wants us to do. But this is what I want to suggest. If we have an underlying belief that wealth is bad, 
that will affect so much of how we deal with money. And beyond that, it affects our perception of how good God is. And I think we just need to have a little bit of a rethink, perhaps. So what I started to do was have a look at the stories of Jesus, started to look perhaps at some of the things that might set a different tone. And the first one is his first public miracle, my personal favourite, which is turning water into wine. And I like to think it was a good Marlborough Sauvignon that he turned it into, this is my most favourite. Um, but this is where he turns up at a wedding. He's, this is his first public miracle. The wedding has run out of wine. This in that time was a big deal. It would have brought huge shame on, on the groom. It was a big problem. And his mum calls over the people and basically gets him uh, to solve the problem. And this is what happens. The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. So Jesus has got these jugs of water and he basically gives them to the servants and says, take this out and serve it. So the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realise where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. Now, what does that tell us? It's really good wine. It's really good wine. This isn't like the cheap stuff. This isn't Lambrusco, ladies and gentlemen. This is like really good wine. Now, if we have some kind of a poverty mindset or a mindset that says, you know, wealth is or, or that kind of abundance is bad, why on earth would Jesus have put the groom in a situation where he could have been looking really bad for having wealth or having stuff? Why would he have actively done that? Created a situation which actually would have spoken of opulence. Why would he have created that if actually the nature of having that kind of a wealth and abundance is bad? Why would he have done that? Why wouldn't he have just produced wine that was good enough to get by and no one would have known? He could have done that. How about this one? A story where he uh, meets some fishermen and he's speaking to the crowd. And then after he speaks to the crowd, this happens. When he finished teaching, he said to Simon, push out into the deep water and let your nets out for a catch. Simon said, Master, we have been fishing hard all night and haven't caught even a minnow. But if you say so, I'll let out the nets. It was no sooner said than done, a huge haul of fish straining the nets past capacity. They waved to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They filled both boats, nearly swamping them with the catch. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before Jesus. Master, leave. I am a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. When they pulled in that catch of fish, awe overwhelmed Simon and everyone with him. I would love to have been there. These are not like fishermen for a hobby, like go down to the lake with a radio and a pat lunch. Like these are, like, nothing wrong with that either. They're not those, I know it's a serious business. The fishermen in are looking at me as if to say, it's so much more than that, Nick. Okay, I believe you. But these are, this was their job. This was their livelihood. They were professional fishermen and they had fished all night and caught absolutely nothing. And do you know what? For a professional fisherman, fish means hard cash. Fish is money. Fish is their livelihood. It's not a hobby. 
This is their livelihood. This is cash for them. And so what does Jesus do? He says, pull your nets up and they have just enough to get by till the next day. No. He doesn't even pull the net up and give them just enough to get, just enough to get by for the next couple of days. And then they can rely on him again to provide. No. He provides so much that they have to call another boat in to get all the fish to be able to fit. They're overwhelmed by the abundance of what he does. Now, if wealth is bad or having more than just what you need is bad, why on earth would Jesus have provided so much to them in that moment? If it's evil or bad or makes you less godly, why would he have actively created a situation where he gave them far more than they could have ever needed? And that is nothing to say of, I haven't got time, but nothing to say of the little boy who brings a pat lunch. And then he turns that into feeding 5,000 people with 12 baskets of food left over. I think something that's happened to me in the last few weeks and months is I've realised I just underestimate God's abundance. Or I, I somehow put it in the stories of the Bible and don't see that it's still okay for me for now. I think maybe abundance is fine when Jesus does it. But you know what? He still does it and he still wants to do it. And he wants to do it for me and other people. But I limit his capacity to do it because I somehow feel like it's a bit uncomfortable or it shouldn't be that way. It's definitely holier to just get by. What about Jesus himself? As I said at the beginning, my Sunday school version of Jesus was, for me, this kind of poor itinerant preacher with dust on his feet that just about got by and went around spreading this incredible message. But that's not what the Bible says. Here, we read this. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yes, he does, he replied. When Peter came into the house, Jesus was the first to speak. What do you think, Simon, he asked. From who do the kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others, Peter answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. Basically saying, this doesn't seem right. This feels a bit unfair. But so that we may not cause offence, go to the lake and throw out your line. Take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and in it you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. That's mental. <laughs> That's so mad. You know, we read these stories and we're like, oh, and then there was the story where the coin appeared in the fish's mouth. But that's really bad. And we have to assume that if Jesus can make money supernatural, I mean, we have to assume the fish didn't find it at the bottom of the lake, right? Just like picked it up on his way swimming home somewhere. Like you have to assume that Jesus supernaturally was able to get that money to appear in that fish's mouth. Now, if he can do that once... Surely we have to see that Jesus had all the resources that he ever needed and more available to him. He was not poor. He was not poor. He had everything he could have ever needed. Other little facts to think about. Jesus had a treasurer. If you're broke and have no money, you don't need a treasurer. <laughs> Jesus also had wealthy, close friends. We know he spent a lot of time with people who were poor and broken. But actually, if wealth was bad, he would have avoided the wealthy. But instead, some of his best friends were Mary, Martha and Lazarus. What do we know about Mary? She owned a vial of perfume that was so, so expensive, it was worth, on average, a year's wages. 
She couldn't have owned that if she wasn't wealthy in some way. And the Bible scholars tell us that they think actually they funded a lot of Jesus's ministry, his best friends. So if wealth is bad and wealthy people aren't godly, why would Jesus have chosen to bring those people into his closest circle? And finally, we know that Jesus wore a seamless tunic woven in one piece. It tells us this in the story of the crucifixion. What it tells us is that the soldiers, after he died, tore his outer garments into four pieces and shared it round. But if you read that next section of the story, it tells you that his tunic was seamless and woven in one piece and so valuable that they didn't want to rip it up. They gambled for it instead. Jesus wasn't poor. He wasn't broke. He wasn't wearing the equivalent of of an Armani suit But we have got to take our eyes off this idea that the Jesus way is the poor way, the simple way, the just scraping by way, the just having enough way. I think we might have got him wrong. And what is the point in all of this? The bottom line is this. If we have some wrong thinking about wealth being bad or ungodly, it affects our capacity to be people of abundance. We're going to look in the upcoming weeks about abundance being linked, absolutely linked to radical generosity. This isn't about gathering stuff for yourself. We are going to look at the fact that it's absolutely linked to radical generosity. Also, I'm not saying that this is about riches and gathering riches and that we all need to now try and go out and be rich. That is not what I'm saying at all. It is absolutely not about riches and status as a way of proving God's blessing on our life. It's not about Chris and I rocking up in the car park in a BMW to prove his blessing on our lives. It's not that. I know, right? Yeah. Unless any of you all just felt God say you wanted to give us a BMW, in which case we'd happily celebrate the blessing of that in our lives. But riches and wealth are not the same thing. And this is something as we move into the next few weeks that we want to get right. Being rich is about having assets and an identity rooted in what you have. Being wealthy is about legacy and an identity rooted in who you are. It's so much more about who you are than what you have. And we're going to make that discrimination in the next few weeks. We're going to talk more about that. This is not about riches in that way. Because you know what? You can have a lot of riches and still operate with a poverty mindset. And you can have virtually nothing in terms of earthly possessions and live out of a place of a wealth mindset. It's really important that you hear that. This is not, you know, you don't need to email Chris and I tomorrow to tell us that you feel like we're trying to tell you we all need to get rich. This is not what we're saying at all. It's about a mindset of having a wealth mindset, just like Jesus, that we have access to everything we could ever need to do what he's asking us to do. And it's not just about finance. Jesus showed us a wealth mindset in terms of things like healing. Did you notice he never healed someone just enough to get by with their day-to-day life? He didn't do that. He didn't say, you are in here and you're coming in lame. I'm going to heal that leg just so you can get back to work but we'll leave the other one so that you can know how to rely on me more. Wow. It's just not how he operated. He had a wealth mindset in everything. He had a wealth mindset when it came to healing, when it came to boldness, when it came to courage. He had a wealth mindset 
that he had access to the resources of heaven for everything he could ever need. He didn't hang his head down and say, oh, don't worry, I'll just do the best I can with the little I have. He was after transformation, not just enough. So really in the next few weeks, what we're hoping is that we will shake off some of this just enough scraping by thing that somehow we may have aligned with being godly or holy and instead start to consider what a wealth mindset looks like when we are children of the most incredible father who is so much better than we could ever ask or imagine. Because when we leave our poverty mindset behind and accept God's desire to bless us with abundance, we get to access more of what he's got for us and we get to leave a legacy that says the same thing. And I'm going to just finish by showing you this. Chris talked about the Passion Translation of the Bible. And Ephesians 3.20 is one of my favourite verses that talks about God being able to do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ask or imagine. And the Passion Translation puts it like this. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all, for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Isn't that good? Doesn't sound like scraping by, does it? Doesn't sound like just enough. He is so extravagant as a father, and he wants us to live from a place of knowing he want, his desire is for us to be people of abundance, not people of lack. So let's stand and we're just going to have a few minutes just to, just to pray and see what Holy Spirit might want to do. I think the first thing for us to think about here is, is repentance, which, as we said in our last series on boulders, is not about saying sorry. It's not, oh, I've got it wrong, I'm so sorry. It's not that. The word that is used to describe repentance exclusively in the books that talk about Jesus' life is metaneo, and that means changing your thinking. And I wonder if for some of us here, maybe like Chris and I, you maybe need to have a little bit of a change of thinking about how you see abundance and what it might look like to prosper. And that might lead into an invitation to actually receive God's blessing rather than shy away from it. If you feel uncomfortable about the idea of being blessed or wealthy when it comes to finance, the chances are God isn't going to be able to pour that abundance into your life because if you keep shying away from it and saying, oh, no, 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 I feel uncomfortable, then actually God isn't a forcing God. God's not going to force anything on you that you don't want to receive. And particularly, I feel like there are some people here this morning in a... This, you know, this isn't even a prophetic thing. Just in a group this big, there will be people here this morning who are struggling with finance and debt. Statistically, it would be impossible that there wouldn't be some of you here this morning who are wrestling out debt. And it feels like this weight around your shoulders. And, and what I would love to say to you this morning is that there is freedom in Jesus. There is a freedom that you can lift that weight off you and find a new way. And sometimes that comes, the first step is through practical help and being able to throw the shame off. But I feel like there's some people here who carry a lot of shame over money, a lot of shame over their finances, that if only people knew 
what was on that credit card or those things I don't even open anymore. And I would love two things this morning, that we just pray the shame would lift off you. And secondly, that you would have the courage and the confidence to come and ask for help because we would love to be able to help you break out of that cycle. Whoever you are, there's no shame. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're with us. We invite you now, come and change us. Come and change our thinking. Where we have limited you in some way by our own baggage around finance and resources. Come and change our thinking. Give us a wealth mindset. When it comes to finance, when it comes to healing, when it comes to life-changing visions and dreams, when it comes to capacity in terms of time and energy, give us a wealth mindset that says anything is possible. Right now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would show each one of us as individuals where these boulders may be in our lives. Some of those patterns of thinking. And Father, we invite your blessing on us. And we thank you for it. right now we break the power of shame over those who carry financial burdens of debt and we declare a new future we declare a new future for those people this morning that feel like debt is banging on their door a new future a future not just of becoming debt free but becoming people of abundance people of the more than enough people whose boats are so overwhelmed by the catch that you want to put into them. And give us hearts for you that we would never be taken to a place that our character can't sustain us. But instead, we would always rely on you. Not out of fear, but out of a knowledge that it is the safest place to be. Ashford Vineyard are delighted to partner with Christians Against Poverty who provide free, first-class debt support in Ashford. If you are struggling with debt of any kind, please call 0800-328-0006 to make an appointment to see a local Christians Against Poverty debt coach to start your journey to becoming debt-free. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.